Welcome to the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast, where we talk strength training, science, and all things performance for cyclists and triathletes, helping you be a stronger, more savvy athlete now and for many years to come. Here's your host, Menachem Brody. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 162 of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast. This week, we're going to talk about the top 10 foods you should be eating, but probably are not. Now, this podcast episode has been a long time in the making. Uh, it was actually put into my draft folder uh, last summer. A number of people uh, were contacting me saying, hey, this research article is saying this, and uh, my coach told me I should be eating that. And I don't like giving answers off the cuff, so I've actually been uh, slowly working behind the scenes here to research and put together this list. Uh, and since I had the bicep tear and the uh, resulting surgery here in January, I've had a lot more time on my hands, no pun intended, because uh, I wasn't able to do in-person sessions. So lots of great information about to come to you in this podcast episode. Now, of note, we had a fantastic interview last week with an actual sports dietitian, RDLD, Dr. Namrita Brook, who is also a cycling coach and a highly accomplished cyclist herself. So if you are looking for actual guidance from someone who really knows what they're talking about and can truly help you, uh, I am not your guy. I would direct you to Dr. Uh, Brooke. Uh, she has her contact information uh, and everything in the show descriptions. So if you have questions on your diet or how to improve your sports performance via your sports nutrition, uh, these are suggestions. While I do have uh, uh, a good amount of knowledge in the area, I am not the professional to help you establish your diet or fine tune it. I can help you make general uh, changes and guide you in the general direction of a good quality, healthy diet, and you'll be surprised by a few of the things we talk about today and that you should be thinking about and eating on a somewhat regular basis. But again, I am not a sports dietitian. I am not a dietitian. I am not pretending to be. So please make sure to contact Dr. Brooke or your own sports dietitian to help you be able to figure that out. Now, I just hinted at, <laughs> I'm going to surprise very many people uh, with our last two suggestions. And uh, it, this has been, again, many, many months in production here. So this is not, uh, I'm not being flippant in suggesting these foods. Uh, a lot of research has been done, and as well as my own local experimentation the last two and a half months, uh, three months since my injury. And I've gotten deeper into this, as well as a number of athletes that I've worked with over the last number of years, the last eight years, nine years in particular. Uh, I think seven years ago, I, I attained the uh, Precision Nutrition uh, Nutrition Coach Certification. Um, it just kind of sharpened my knife, so to speak, in that drawer. Uh, but I don't try and be a jack of all trades. And I, I think that's something, or I hope that's something that's come across here on the podcast, is I really try and stick to cycling triathlon and strength training and let other professionals really handle the other things. And even then, within those realms of cycling and triathlon, uh, I have my own specifications uh, of who I will work with because I can really, really help them. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about this and you want to get some good free information and kind of understand what's been on my mind or things that have caught my attention recently, head on over to Facebook. The link will be in the description. You can join the HV Training Strength Training for Cyclists and Triathletes Facebook group. It is free. All you need to do is answer three questions. 
And those three questions, yes, all three of them are important to answer because it helps me understand who you are, where you're coming from, uh, and your mindset, and allows me to produce content for those in the group, not like I do generally on the YouTube channel uh, or here on the podcast. So uh, strongly recommend you join that group. It's over 215 people from around the world already. Uh, we've got some great stuff going on. Uh, now, one of the things before we get into today's episode, I am not a dietitian, as I mentioned, and uh, please make sure if any of these come off as you're not sure, do your own research, talk to your doctor, your physician, your family doctor, and make sure that these are suggestions that are okay for you to follow. Do not simply follow me because I have a lot of credentials and a lot of experience and I have a podcast here and I've done my own research. It is important to take these as suggestions uh, and make sure that everything is in, within reason for you. Now, let's take a real quick pause to talk about the last week here at HV Training, and then we will get into our top 10 foods, including the last two, which I think uh, will really surprise a number of people. All right, the HV Training update for the week of April 9th, 2023. Um, there isn't a ton, really. Uh, the new intern is getting started. Uh, we actually have spring, spring break, so uh, we got started. She's taking a pause, but we have some really great content that's going to be produced here over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to focus on Instagram. That is her chosen uh, social media channel of choice. Uh, because that involves video, I will be doing some uh, YouTube videos as well. A number of you here have asked what's going on, where are the new videos for YouTube, um, you really enjoy the content. Well, those videos take a lot of time to produce. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes, uh, so to speak, as far as research and making sure that it's presented in a way that is uh, most useful for when it's released, not for when it's recorded. And um, as you know, the last couple of months, I have been uh, injured, so that really put a hold on the YouTube production. So thank you guys for uh, emailing letting me know that that's something that uh, you're looking forward to and you enjoy. Uh, and yes, uh, there should be some new ones coming out. I don't think we'll go back to a weekly release. Uh, I mean, those videos, we had two interns who loved audio production, uh, AV production, and um, I really, I think at this point, it'll be maybe once a month or every three weeks, something like that. Uh, but thank you for letting me know that you do enjoy the HV Training channel on YouTube. Uh, it is growing, actually, even without those new videos going up. We're just shy of 6,000 subscribers, which is uh, pretty big, actually. A lot of people don't realize that. Uh, but to have over 3,000 subscribers on YouTube means that you're putting out some great content. So thank you each for subscribing. Uh, as for some other stuff that's going on here at HV Training, uh, it, it's now the time of year where many of the riders, uh, the developmental riders, are heading over to Europe to do their training. So this year we've got a number of them who are working uh, remotely with you as a number of master's athletes are as well. Uh, the Big Year Blueprint, uh, we have space for two or three individuals. Uh, really keep that as a small group, but if any of you are interested in really learning how to meld your strength training with your on-bike or to take your performances to new levels this year, uh, I have space. There is space in there. We have two or three riders uh, who have moved out. Uh, they have completed their tasks that as needed, uh, and they're back rocking and rolling. One of them actually went for a training camp in Spain, uh, rode really hard for five days, and said for the first time in three or four years, uh, I have not had back pain or neck pain, and I felt amazing except for on the super long descents, but I don't think that's something <laughs> that we can work on. It's just that's a really long, you know, 15 to 20 minute descent, so it is what it is. And this is the great part about the Big Year Blueprint. It is there to give you a deep dive, help you learn a lot more. And each of these riders in the exit interview, uh, the two that have finished, uh, it's really impressive to see how much they've learned on our weekly live calls. And, you know, it's great to hear they're going back through the recordings and really understanding better, uh, 
not just because of the feedback they get on their program, but the others who are in there. So if you're interested, go ahead and shoot me an email, B as in boy, R-O-D as in dog, I-E, at humanvortextraining.com, and we'll see if it's a fit for you. Uh, other than that, my physical therapist, uh, we had a good session on Monday last week, so a little bit earlier than usual. Uh, it really mucked me up. <laughs> uh, we worked, we've been working a lot on the fascial system, and that's something that I've been studying the last two or three years and trying to really learn a lot more about. And uh, he did a good number on me. Like uh, I've been lacking external rotation. Uh, I've had some problems with shoulder flexion and external rotation on that side due to the time of the sling as well as a previous injury from uh, 20-something years ago. And uh, we've done a lot of work. And this time the, the session was very good in that I felt overall better and I had more end range of motion and it wasn't anything that was extreme, uh, but it really mucked up my body's strategic approach to dealing with stress such that when I went back to the gym 48 hours later and I did a relatively light squat session, uh, the next day I was really sore as if I hadn't lifted in three or four weeks. I mean, that was the sensations that I have. I was super sore. I have not been that sore in many, 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 many moons um, in my strength training because I generally try and avoid that. Uh, so it was uh, refreshing to have that feeling and also uh, to really see the effect of something that, you know, to uh, an observer is somewhat... Um, moot like okay you did like uh it wasn't even a massage it was like a little bit of friction here and there and moved at a couple different points that didn't seem connected and you had a little bit better external rotation and then you're super sore the next day at a light weight for squats and everything else that doesn't make sense uh that's how deep the fascial system goes so uh in the queue in the next couple of months we'll have some interviews with some uh, professionals who've worked extensively much more extensively with the fascial system and uh i think that that'll be a really great uh way for each of you listeners to learn a whole lot more about the fascial system. And we really don't know a whole lot about it. We're still progressing. Uh, it's relatively new, um, but I'm excited to go down that path. So the last little update here, um, my cardiorespiratory fitness is returning finally after uh, COVID. Uh, I had a very mild form of long COVID. Uh, it has taken me now uh, almost uh, one and a half years to return to some intensity. I had posted on my Facebook page and over in the uh, HV training, strength training for cyclist group, um, aforementioned, I think you're in the uh, intro, the free group, uh, uh, my heart rate recovery for these one minute all outs was phenomenal. And I'm super proud of that because that came from focusing on the controllables. I, I did not have the capability of doing high intensity at all. Um, pretty much for the first year. Um, very, very slowly uh, worked with my coach to bring back those capabilities, being very smart, using HRV training. Uh, at this point, the, the first six months we worked together, we did not use HRV training because it was not at the point where I needed that much information. And even now, I'm a little bit early on it, but I wanted to start tracking early uh, to kind of share my um my journey towards the end here. So uh, it's been interesting to say the least, but uh, it is so super, super encouraging. I've actually uh, taken the bike to be uh, to be fixed uh, at the mechanics here. So I get to pick that up in a week or so. Uh, once it's done, I will start building back my bike fitness, or at least that's the plan. So uh, it's been a long trip, but uh, for those of you out there who are going through uh, COVID or mild long COVID or, or worse, uh, it does get better. It is not a straightforward path, and everybody is, is different, but uh, it does get better. Well, uh, let's get into today's episode, number 162, about the 10 foods that you should be eating, but probably are not, or at least not in the amounts that you should. 
All right, so we're going to talk about the 10 foods that you should be eating, but probably are not or are not eating enough. Now, that subtitle is really important uh, because it all needs to be in uh, relation to you. So I'm going to share what I've been doing, what I found has been useful for myself and my athletes uh, over the last uh, seven or eight years. And I'm going to use what and lean heavily on what I've been doing the last three months myself. And a lot of this comes from the fact that uh, the last year and a half has been really tough from a perspective that I have not been able to do uh, our complete high-intensity work, um, even low-intensity stuff. So it's become known today as Zone 2, or if you are like myself or older, LSD, long, slow distance. It's the exact same thing. And, you know, the pendulum swings one way and then goes the other way. Um, I have not had a cup big enough, uh, thanks to a very mild, uh, long COVID uh, to be able to really train at the, the rates that I would have liked. So a uh, number of months ago, I was like, okay, I can't go really high intensity, so let's try long. And I started off by walking. I started off walking with my kiddo. I uh, went from essentially from the house to his kindergarten and back in the morning. Uh, then I would extend it, but then I'd have three or four days where I couldn't. So I needed to figure out a way to control the controllables. What's something that I could do to help me get in shape? Because let's be honest here, if you have subscribed to the HV Training YouTube channel and you see any of the videos that I uploaded at the beginning of COVID and at the end of the COVID lockdowns, you can actually see uh, in my tucked in shirt the 16 kilos that I put on in that time. And uh, that came from stress. Uh, a lot of stress during that time, being in a three-room apartment with my wife and son, which was an enormous blessing, um, not to mix things up, but it was also very stressful. So I was uh, drinking probably uh, a dram of whiskey every other night, um, as well as uh, eating all of the wrong things at the wrong times. So even though my overall diet was quote-unquote healthy, uh, the timing of meals as well as the timing of just little special treats was one too often and two the wrong times. So falling asleep in front of the sofa, watching TV, and then going to bed, all of the rules uh, that I knew I shouldn't be doing, I did, and uh, just managed to work myself back. So we're going to talk today about the 10 foods that you should be eating. And again, over the last two and a half, three months here, since my injury, I've been really doubling and tripling down on these. So let's start off with number one, and that is oatmeal. That is right. We're talking about the old-fashioned oats, not the quick, instant, or prepackaged. Definitely not the prepackaged. And that was something that I made the mistake uh, back in my powerlifting days when my coach told me to start eating oatmeal is I bought the Quaker instant oats with the, uh, I think it was the cinnamon, uh, or no, cinnamon brown sugar apple, something like that. And I ate that thinking, hey, I'm getting what I need to. But in fact, those are actually no better than having, I don't know, Captain Crunch or, you know, my favorite, which is uh, Cocoa Pebbles. Although I do have that in small moderation, and you'll hear about that a little bit later. So we're talking about old-fashioned oats. And this is something, again, the last uh, two and a half, three months I've doubled down on. I have 100 grams of old-fashioned oats every single morning. I take my little scale out, weigh it, I cook it. I add uh, about five to seven grams of uh, brown sugar after it's done. And then I add in uh, two other foods that we'll talk about a little bit later. The next one is number two, actually. But why is oatmeal, the old-fashioned oats, important? Well, if you actually look back at the bodybuilding and powerlifting magazines, aside from egg whites, uh, oatmeal is the number one or shared number one spot with egg whites for what bodybuilders and powerlifters eat. Why is that? 
Well, it's high in fiber, so you're going to get about 12 grams of fiber per 100 grams in old-fashioned oats. Uh, it's relatively higher in protein compared to all grains, uh, except for quinoa. So it has around 10.2 to 10.8, let's call it 11 grams of protein per 100 grams. And it's also high in magnesium, which helps with the cramping. Now, the thing that I really found that has been beneficial for myself and the athletes that I've suggested it to is that it helps slow down digestion as well as uh, they feel fuller longer. So they're out on their rides. They're not feeling like they have to reach for something to eat, you know, after 60 to 90 minutes. They're making it to that two, two and a half hour mark much easier. Part of that has to do with the fiber. Part of that has to do with the protein. Uh, and it's also really easy to make. So for instance, right now, since I'm not doing a whole lot of uh, riding, I'm doing more focus on strength training and what I can do in the gym where I can call an audible as I did last Friday when I need to because my energy or the symptoms cap catch up with me. Uh, I am able to come home, put the oatmeal into the pan with water, turn it on medium heat, go shower, come back, stir it once or twice, and prepare the rest of the ingredients of my breakfast as well as get started on training plans uh, or whatever it may be while it's cooking. So very, very easy to make. You can also make overnight oats where you just soak it overnight. Uh, there's a number of different preparation, but it must be the old-fashioned oats. So I really love this. I, I've fallen in love with it at least over the last two or three months again, and uh, I think it is an invaluable tool uh, in your diet. Number two is cinnamon. Now, there is an important thing with cinnamon, and I did not know this when I started uh, down the path of adding cinnamon, in that there are actually two types of cinnamon. Uh, one is called Ceylon. This is the higher purity. It's also a little bit more expensive, so I actually had to go to a specialty shop to, to buy it, um, whereas the most common is cassia. And the challenge or the problem that we have, and I did not know this, and I actually found this, uh, someone actually pointed this out to me, uh, and I actually didn't believe them. Uh, at first off, I was like, you're kidding, right? <laughs> so there is such a thing called Coumarin toxicity. And if you have too much cassia cinnamon, uh, it is known to have uh, uh, lead to Coumarin toxicity. And when I'm talking about using cinnamon, I'm not talking about a dash here or there. I'm talking about really putting some in uh, about a, a three to five grams is what I tend to do into my cinnamon. Uh, most days these days, uh, I actually put about one or two grams into my coffee uh, that I have uh, during my warm-up. So I actually have a latte during my warm-up for my gym days. Uh, so strength or aerobic, I have a 12-ounce latte and I put in uh, some cinnamon. So that is cassia cinnamon at the uh, um, cafe there. Uh, but when, most of the time I will have the Ceylon at home. So the Ceylon is lighter colored. It's not as dark. It's more fruity. It's not as uh, strong as the Kasha, but it's also better for your liver. Now, the way that I put it, and I already mentioned, is in the oatmeal or in my coffee. I do usually put it into my coffee at the uh, restaurant, although uh, I'm running out of my cinnamon sticks, which I use in my uh, oatmeal. I usually just hand grind it. I like that kind of crunchy uh, flavor in my oatmeal. Uh, so once those are gone, I'll go back to the store and get the ground Ceylon uh, cinnamon, and I'm going to be that guy who puts cinnamon into his latte at the cafe out of a bag or whatever it may be because I want to have uh, control and make sure I'm not getting to that Coumarin toxicity. 
Uh, the other benefit for cinnamon uh, is that it does aid in blood sugar regulation. This is really important, and if one of the things that you want to do is get leaner, uh, you do want to improve your insulin sensitivity. So cinnamon in the right amounts and the right kind can really help you, but the key to this is that it has to be regular. So that's why I went on and on here about Kasha and that coumarin toxicity is I want to drive that home. I don't want you to make the mistake that I did, which was, oh, cinnamon is great for you, and just start using off the shelf. Uh, without looking for that Ceylon cinnamon. So uh, spices, we tend to think that we just add them to add flavor to food, but as we learned here with cinnamon, uh, aids in blood sugar regulation and improves insulin sensitivity, they have a lot of benefits in the human body, which leads us to our third food that you should be eating but probably are not getting enough of, and that is garlic. And there is a lot of, um, I want to say, information out there, and I've struck stuck strictly <laughs> with the research that is out there. So I haven't gone through the uh, homeopathic medicine. I'm actually looking at the modern research articles that are out there. And that is uh, shown that in its various forms, whether it's aged garlic, ground garlic, granulated garlic, or fresh garlic, it has a number of benefits in the human body. So scavenger free radicals, it increases uh, glutathione levels, it prevents chromosomal aging, it aids in DNA repair, it's anti-inflammatory, it reduces hypertension and decreases lipids and lipoproteins in the blood, as well as reduces the incidence of several types of cancers and being an, an antimicrobial. So each of these is going to depend on the type of garlic that you are using. So we here in the Brody household, we have three different types of garlic that we tend to use. Number one is granulated garlic. Uh, that's just what you get off the, the shelf, the powdered garlic that you use. The second is going to be the dried garlic. That's going to be bigger pieces. So we tend to use that in our chickens, uh, in any type of meats that we prepare or fish. I tend to like that, drop that into soups as well. And the last is fresh garlic. Now, fresh garlic, in order to get the properties to activate to the levels that we want to see the health benefits, you actually need to chop or chew it and let it sit for about 10 to 15 minutes. This allows the properties, if I'm not mistaken, the main one being allicin, uh, A-L-L-I-C-I-N, I could be incorrect there. I didn't write that down in my from my research, but it comes to top of mind here. I did see it a bunch of times and apologize. I didn't put it into the show notes here, um, but it has to have time to activate. So about 10 to 15 minutes after you chop garlic is when it's most activated and then you can eat it. Now, one of the cool tips about eating fresh garlic, because a lot of us know that if you eat garlic, you're going to smell like it the rest of the day, uh, is to actually eat a sprig or two of fresh cilantro after you have that. And I love cilantro. Um, others say that it's parsley, but one of those two greens will help kill the smell from garlic. Uh, I think the one that's more popular is parsley. So you can get that for a buck or two or two fifty at the local grocery store. You buy a bag, you open the bag and put it into a little cup of water um, so that it stays fresh longer. It can last a week or two that way. So just eat a sprig of parsley. Uh, I like coriander, um, if, if you want to call it that. But uh, that would be my, my recommendation is if you're going to eat it fresh, uh, you can also have it in a salad. Uh, that's what my parents tend to do. My family does. They just chop it up and put it fresh in salad. They sprinkle it on top. Um, so you don't actually need that much. The research... Uh, articles varied anywhere from, uh, I think it was three grams of fresh garlic to six or 10. It was not that much when you actually look at it. It's essentially, you know, two or three uh, pieces from a bulb, a very, very small amount that you can sprinkle in. Now, this also has digestive, uh, it aids in digestion as well. 
that isn't as much as seen as a huge benefit from garlic. Um, those research articles were a little bit less, but our fourth foods, and there's a pair here, do definitely help with digestion, as well as a number of other things, and that is kefir or kombucha. Now with these, you have to be careful about who you're purchasing from. You wanna make sure that the uh, kefir and the kombucha are made uh, from the, uh, um, I can't remember what it's called, but off the top of my head, they essentially have these organisms that uh, grow. My uh, old roommate and, and good old friend from many, many years from, from elementary school actually uh, made his own kombucha at home um, when we were living together. So the organism itself, you want to make sure that it's a high-quality organism. So you, you want to kind of do a little bit of research before you buy uh, either of these and make sure it is a high-quality brand that's known for actually having. Now, I've gone from drinking a good amount of kombucha when I had access to Whole Foods. I can't remember the name of the brand, but there was one brand in particular that I actually liked because you get pieces and bits of uh, the organism, whereas nowadays uh, I haven't really found that. There was actually someone who worked at the CrossFit gym, uh, Jake. He and his girlfriend at the time made kombucha, and then they stopped around Corona time just because of the uh, the obstacles. So that was another one that I, I would use. Um, but Kefir and kombucha are known, and we'll focus on kefir because that's the, the research that uh, I really dug into. So kefir, although I do also recommend kombucha, kefir boosts the immune system, increases speed of wound healing. This is really cool and something that uh, I went out and searched high and wide, uh, and high and far and wide to find some good kombucha while I was injured and managed to find some and brought home a couple bottles. Uh, now this is directly from an article uh, on the research of kombucha. This is from Frontiers of Microbiology 2016, the microbiota and health-promoting characteristics of the fermented beverage kefir. So if you'd like to look that up, that would be the name of the uh, research. Now, here's a direct quote from these. Uh, from there, these decreased healing times are likely due to multiple factors. One such factor is the ability of kefir to inhibit the growth of bacterial and fungal cells, thus leading to a cleaner wound, as showed to be the case in some studies. Another possible factor is the ability to modulate the immune system and recruit immune cells to help with the healing process. Now, I don't know about you, uh, I am not necessarily concerned with the mechanism, but this is nice to hear. Uh, it is something that I noticed in my wound healing. It seemed to be a little bit faster. The, the doctors, each time I went back, they were pretty impressed with it. And I do think that that addition, because I hadn't had it for years, uh, and it's something that I've actually continued here the last couple of weeks, uh, did make a big difference. Now, the other big benefits to kefir, which is actually Turkish, and it means feel good. It is meant to be drank after a meal. It aids in digestion. It's an ACE inhibitor. It's a probiotic. It improves cholesterol, and it improves blood sugar regulation. So this is something that I've added here, usually for breakfast or dinner, uh, although I don't have it if I have meats. Uh, if I have meat, I do separate that uh, by a couple of hours from dairy. Um, so usually I will have that if we have uh, any type of uh, meat for dinner, and I know that that's planned on the menu, so I'll have it after lunch. So I do have it pretty much every other day, although there are some days where if I'm feeling really good, uh, I will actually skip it uh, because I don't want to overuse it too much. And that leads us a little bit more to, you know, not overusing will lead us to our fifth food that you should be eating, but we're going to get into that after a quick little break here. Like what you're hearing? Hit subscribe and leave us a review. 
Now before we continue to number five, I'd like to ask you to please hit the subscribe or follow button depending on the podcast platform that you are listening. This really helps me to be able to bring guests in, especially those outside of the realm of the endurance sport world who may not be familiar with me, the work that I do, or what we talk about here on the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast. So if you could do that, that would greatly help us out uh, and allow us to continue to bring the highest quality production and information to you. Now let's get into number five, and this again needs to be done in moderation, just like we talked about with kefir and we talked about with our cinnamon, and that is ginger. So there is just a little bit of ginger that's needed. Just like cinnamon, we want to make sure that we are not overdoing it here. Now ginger is best known for its ability to help with stomach aches and digestion. However, uh, there was actually a number of studies done, uh, one of which looked at the decrease of muscle soreness and found that not only does ginger, uh, as little as two grams a day, help to decrease muscle soreness by up to 25%, but it's also actually also a powerful anti-inflammatory. So another thing to help us keep inflammation down in the body. Now, as noted, this specific research and the number of others that I looked for uh, all looked at two to four grams a day, which is not that much. It's essentially, if you think about that little bit of ginger you get on your plate when you order sushi, uh, it's essentially two or three of those strands. That's it. It's a very small amount of ginger. Now, a lot of people like to use that pickled ginger. I actually prefer to have fresh ginger and either uh, have it via ginger tea a few times a day. Uh, I also do really like to use uh, ginger powder in some of the cooking, uh, but really the ways that I tend to get it is going to be the dried with no extra sugar. And I I really like having two or three bites of that after a meal. So I'll have that, especially if I'm not having uh, the uh, kefir. So like after uh, meat meals, I tend to have two or three bites of dried ginger with no extra sugar. So there is some sugar in there and it is a sweet, so it's kind of my dessert. Uh, However, another route that I have found that people enjoy, including one of my sisters, is what's called essence of ginger. Ginger. And this is where essentially you're making a ginger tea. So you take fresh ginger root, grind it up into a boiling pot of water, leave it covered, and it allows you to strain out the ginger uh, and have a very powerful uh, ginger drink. And I think uh, Bob Marley's son actually also drinks a lot of this. They did uh, men's health at his fridge and gym. Uh, I watched a number of uh, weeks ago when I was injured and recovering from the surgery. And it was it was really cool to see him with the essence of ginger in his refrigerator. So uh, this is something you can add in small amounts. Uh, again, this is uh, pretty easy. I really like the dry ginger. Uh, to be honest, it was something that my roommate who also made the kombucha at home introduced me to. Uh, he had lived uh, uh, abroad for a number of years in a country where ginger was very prevalent, very common. And actually here in Israel, where I'm, uh, I've been living the last 10 years as my main center, uh, it's very, very common. So uh, much easier to get here than, and also in Europe than it was in the States, but it is something you can find at your lo- local food co-op or uh, Whole Foods or Trader Joe's. I think most grocery stores these days actually carry fresh ginger. But again, too much of a good thing is uh, going to be too much and, and become a bad thing. So make sure that you're paying attention to how much. Again, just two to four grams a day maximum. Uh, and this can't help. Again, 
the decrease in muscle soreness is a big thing. You know, if you're going to go through a heavy training block, and this is something that I've done the last couple of weeks here, I do go out of my way to make sure I'm having uh, some ginger of some kind pretty much every other day uh, because uh, I have also noticed a decrease in muscle soreness. So as I mentioned uh, uh, just a short bit ago uh, in the intro, how sore I was after that uh, training or the physical therapy session and then doing my training with light weights. 48 hours later, uh, I was super sore, so I made a point to increase my ginger. I carried some uh, dried ginger with me when we traveled, uh, made sure to have a few bites, and that really helped significantly. So something you can add uh, as an uh, per diem, depending on what your training is going to look like, uh, but don't just use it for the day that you're going to be, uh, you think you're going to be sore, or you're really putting on a lot of uh, volume on the bike, or you're doing some eccentric training. I would suggest, based on the athletes I've worked with, that you know that that's going to come down the pike. It's in your training plan, so it's not a surprise. So what we've done is uh, they preferred to have sushi, and then they just asked for extra ginger. They paid the extra buck or whatever it was to have it. And uh, in the two or three days leading up, so they got more lean protein, which we'll talk about later here in the list, uh, as well as they got their ginger that they needed. So we noticed in the uh, uh, 12 or so athletes that I have worked with over the last five years when we did this, we did notice a marked decrease in muscle soreness that they had after these workouts. That includes cyclists, uh, crossfitters, so actually 17 including crossfitters, uh, there was a marked decrease in muscle soreness after on a scale of 1 to 10, right? So we can't say 25%, but on a scale of 1 to 10, if they would normally be a 9, they were a 6. So we could call that 30, 33%. Um, but uh, it's not a, a definitive, but most of them saw a decrease. If they were RP89 for soreness, they went down to a 5.6. So that's pretty big and allowed them to come back and train again faster uh, and recover faster. Now, the next food, you don't necessarily need to worry about eating too much. Or do you? We're going to talk about orange vegetables. Now, of course, we're also going to include oranges, but I want to talk about orange vegetables. And these, in particular, if you eat too much, uh, there is kind of an upper limit for it, and that is your hands and face will turn orange if you eat too much of them. And there was actually a really funny uh, Scrubs episode where this guy came in and they couldn't figure out. They thought it was Billy Rubin and all this other stuff, and Scrubs being a comedy that it is. In the end, the guy was drinking tomato juice and eating carrots all day, and they figured out, well, that's what it was. So it's a real thing. You can turn your face and your hands orange if you eat too much, but most of us just don't get enough of these. Squash, pumpkin, sweet potatoes, carrots. Uh, if you want to include uh, ginger in that as a yellow orange, I think you can. Mango would be in there as a yellow orange, and of course, oranges. Now, there are a number of research articles done out there on oranges, in particular, uh, one of the uh, uh, micronutrients in oranges, which I can't remember, that they did on competitive cyclists, and they found that it actually supports a decrease in fat and increases in muscle mass. But in particular, that tends to go across most orange foods. So that that's why I didn't focus on oranges themselves. We're all familiar with that. If you've ever done an MS-150 or a lung-supported bike ride, they tend to have these huge boxes of uh, wedges of oranges, right? But outside of that, most of us don't really have oranges unless it's orange juice with our oatmeal or as a snack. Most of us aren't going to sit there and eat clementine or tangerines uh, or squash or pumpkins uh, or sweet potatoes or carrots unless it's in something. So this is one of the things that I really like about uh, Bijou Thomas's um, Feed Zone Cookbook, and he was a guest here a number of uh, episodes ago, and we talked about everything except for cooking, so he's a very diverse individual, so if you want, you can go back and look through the episodes to find that one, um, but it's high in vitamin A, and really, this is really 
really important to help us be able to support your eyesight, something that as cyclists and endurance athletes moving at speed on two wheels is very important, uh, as well as, you know, I found that sweet potatoes and rice, those have become my go-to uh, starchy carbs. I really like sweet potatoes. Uh, we've also had some butternut squash here. It's actually, I'm looking at it right now since I'm recording in the, the dining room this week. Um, I actually need to make that sucker. Just a little bit of honey, some olive oil inside. You take the seeds out, you can roast those. Really yummy. Uh, it's a great meal. You add it with a lean protein and you have a complete meal with fiber, carbohydrates, protein, a little bit of healthy fats. But we should be eating more of these. Uh, one of my other favorite recipes to make uh, is just to take a squash, cut it in half, and just what I mentioned above here a second ago, a little bit of honey dribbled over it, um, some salt and pepper, uh, so a tiny bit of olive oil in the inside uh, after scooping out the seeds and you just bake it for uh, about two to three hours at uh, 180 to 200 degrees and uh, it's a meal so really simple and easy especially in the fall time um, but this is one that I have really found you know I feel great after having sweet potatoes and with any type of meal I just I feel better so this is something that I've really uh, doubled down on number seven uh, we don't really have to worry too much about eating too much of this but there are a whole lot of options in this uh, bin of vegetables, and that is cruciferous vegetables. So a lot of us tend to think about cabbage or, I don't know, Brussels sprouts when we think about cruciferous or broccoli, but there's a whole host of other vegetables in there. Bok choy, kohlrabi, radishes, red radishes, um, arugula. There are a lot of other vegetables in there, but these are really important for us as endurance athletes and as human beings. Not only are they high in vitamin K, but they also have a really, really important micronutrient called sulfurophane. Excuse me. Uh, they're very powerful antioxidants and anti-inflammatory and also encourages new muscle growth via deactivating myostatins. This is really, really important. So when our parents told us we have to finish our vegetables, these are really, really important vegetables for us to eat. This is something that I have noticed, again, when I eat more of these. So my favorite go-to are the small red radishes, a kohlrabi. Uh, and then if they're in season, uh, I like fresh Brussels sprouts. So that, that's a very small window. I do eat the frozen ones here and there, but I also eat a lot of cabbage. So these are the things that I really like. You know, my wife kind of uh, gives me an elbow to the ribs sometimes and says, well, you're not really eating salad. I'm not a big fan of, you know, just regular salad with lettuce, tomatoes, cucumbers. Uh, I'll eat it if I haven't had vegetables, but I really would much rather snack on some radishes, cut up a kohlrabi, uh, have some Brussels sprouts with some a uh, little bit of uh, sea salt on them, maybe a tiny bit of olive oil or even avocado oil. Mm, now I'm getting hungry. Uh, or just having some arugula with uh, the vegetables of tomato and cucumber. Just a regular old salad. I've been eating it for years. Yes, it's a staple, it's a go-to, but I find personally that the cruciferous vegetable uh, family, I just feel a whole lot better. Um, so this is something that we can easily add. Bok choy, Brussels sprouts, kohlrabi, radishes, cabbage, arugula, well, not really arugula, but all of the aforementioned before arugula can simply be steamed or boiled, and then they're ready. Now, bok choy, I personally like to bake. Um, it's kind of fun to put in there, put a little bit of olive oil, salt and pepper, you bake it. We haven't had that for a while here, but it is absolutely delicious. The leaves get crispy, the stalks get uh, nice and baked, and it is delicious. 
easy to make uh, alongside any type of dish and really can go well. There's tons of different variations out there that you can make, um, but you've got to make sure you're keeping an eye on those uh, oils that you use. So olive oil, avocado oil, I personally have started to measure them uh, just because they can add unnecessary uh, calories. And as I mentioned, uh, I'm down now 16 or 18 calories since uh, the 16 or 18 I put on during Corona. Uh, so I'm trying to be more cognizant of understanding how much I'm actually eating. Now the next food, just like the cruciferous vegetables, you don't have to worry too much about how much you're eating. And that is blueberries, or in what I like to do is I mix up all types of berries. But the research that I found, uh, and I wanna quote here because it is unique in that it actually looked at women. Uh, that was the main study group was women. There were 22 total women. Uh, this is a Cornell University study in the Journal of Nutrition. There were 22 women, 12 aged 25 to 40, and 10 age 60 to 75 in this study. Now, I want you to pause for a second because if anybody knows anything about what we've learned about women's performance, that age of 40 to 60 is when most women are going through perimenopause. And that is why, in my guess, they did not study that group is there's too many variables. At the 60 to 75 age range and 25 to 40, most of that stuff isn't going on or it's finished. So you have much more stable uh, research participants to pull data from. Now, this study for blueberries uh, it looked at 1.75 cups or the equivalent of fresh blueberries, 1.75 cups per day. Uh, in this case, they did freeze dried. They got half in the morning and half in the evening. This was a six week study, so very short amount of time, but it did lead to an increased progenitor cell and increase in O2 consumption by the, sh the cells. Uh, in the 25 to 40 age group. However, for those in the 60 to 75 age group, they did not see that. Now, this is significant in that we know some of the changes in the hormones in the body, uh, and it's my understanding and I am uh, not an, a high, high, high level exercise physiologist, but and I don't focus on research, but it's my understanding that at, once you go through perimenopause, uh, that changes the interaction and activation of the progenitor cells. So that might be the reason why. Um, again, some of you out there are much more knowledgeable on this, so feel free to correct me. Send me an email, b as in boy, r-o-d as in dog, i-e at humanvortextraining.com, and I'm more than happy to correct that and give give the right information uh, as an addendum here. Now, this is really important because uh, blueberries or berries in general are rich in vitamin C and potassium. They boost muscle repair and growth. I personally really like the mixed berries that we have here. I get them frozen uh, in 500 gram uh, containers. So there are two different types in the cranberry family that I get. There's a black and a red, as well as cherries and blueberries in the mix. And then I will go out and buy blackberries or I'll get uh, some pureed uh, siah and add it here and there. But berries in whole are very low in calories and very high in vitamin C and a number of other antioxidants. So this is something that throughout the year, even when they're not in season, you can get them fairly cheap in the frozen section or you can get freeze dried and still get a lot of the benefits. I really like the frozen. I mix it in with my oatmeal that I mentioned earlier. So oatmeal, cinnamon, 100 grams of berries, some days 150, uh, three to five grams of cinnamon, and then I also add anywhere from 20 to 35 grams of some type of nut butter to my breakfast. So great addition, really adds flavor, really adds fiber as well. Uh, you know, I'm getting around three grams per 100 grams of fiber, and I just really enjoy the flavor and something that I think everybody can do uh, within their budget throughout the year. Now, the last two pieces that you should be eating or probably not are eating enough 
One of these, I understand it's a little bit polarizing for some people, but it's lean proteins. So for vegetarians or vegans, I'm talking about lentils uh, or beans. When we're talking about actual you know, omnivores or carnivores, we're talking about chicken, beef, turkey, whatever type of meat you're having. But the thing is, is we're talking about lean. We're talking about the actual meat itself. One of the mistakes that I've seen over and over again, especially for those uh, cyclists and triathletes that I've worked with from a strength training and on bike side who are trying to get lean is they don't understand that it's, they have the protein, but they're having like chicken Parmesan or they're having some type of red meat that has been cooked in some type of sauce. Those sauces, those preparations add a lot of calories and take away and make it harder for you to stick to your diet. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have those things. I'm just saying that when you have that, it should be a special occasion, not every Tuesday night as the particular individual with the chicken parmesan that I'm thinking of. And then she's left wondering, well, why am I gaining weight and not losing weight? Well, when we actually break those ingredients down and weight it, well, shoot, that's an extra 800 calories that you are consuming when you're thinking, oh, I'm having a lean protein. So lean proteins, that's the same thing with lentils or any other beans where we tend to put these sauces together. You have to be careful. And as I mentioned a minute ago, I am being more uh, mindful and measuring the oils that I'm using. So, and that's just because I'm still trying to uh, lose a little bit more body fat. I'm not riding at the amounts that I thought I would. So I'm really focusing on my diet right now because that is the tool that I have control over. And once I can start riding and doing more endurance activities, I know that that body fat will come down. Uh, but for right now, it's a focus on lean proteins. I do like to rotate through beans or lentils. Uh, I was uh, vegetarian for a number of years and pretty much vegan, except every two months or so I had this craving for red meat. So I would go get you know a steak or something. So I don't say I was a vegan, uh, I'd say more vegetarian. Um, even fish I didn't eat during those three or four years. Then I slowly became a pescatarian where I had fish on a regular basis and then I went back to being an omnivore, but most of my diet uh, tends to be um, lean proteins. So making sure you're getting the lean version and, and not adding tons and tons of calories. Now our 10th and final one here is going to surprise a lot of people and this is where you have to be honest. We are human beings, not robots. The 10th food that you are probably not eating enough of or frequently enough are sweet or salty specials. This is stuff that would be termed by mass media as junk food. You've got to have a balance. Like you've got to live life. If you want to get shredded, like if, if I wanted to get shredded and really go that lean and do it only by diet with the tools that I have right now, I could do it. But I know that my quality of life and the sustainability of that would suck. And I would not be in a good place. I would be very unhappy. Uh, yes, the results are amazing. I would look amazing. And every time I'd walk past a, a mirror, I would feel happy, maybe for a second, or like, wow, I did that. But the quality of my life would suck. So uh, this is you know, something that you plan or you are thinking, you know what? I can have this today. Uh, it's something that I deserve because I had it. Not that you have to earn it. It's just more of, you know what? I am really craving some uh, Cocoa Pebbles. So I'll have a serving of Cocoa Pebbles and I have no guilt about it. And if I do that two or three days in a row, I know something is probably up because that means my sugar is spiking and I'm looking for that fast fix versus I have a craving for it. So sweet or salty specials, putting it in there with no preconditions, no post conditions. You're like, hey, 
you know what, that looks good, I'm gonna have that. So for example, yesterday we went to a, a park all day, uh, we took the kiddo, we went with another family, we met there, we played, and at some point the, the kids were having, you know, we brought a Nutella sandwich for him, uh, we, we brought uh, one other type of, uh, like a, it's Bamba it's called, so it's like peanut butter, um, kind of like Cheetos, essentially the classic cheese curls, but it's with peanuts. So I had, a, I, we had those for him. I didn't have any of those. And then the other dad said, Hey, well, let's, let's get, um, popsicles. So I was like, Oh, I don't want one. My wife decided that she didn't want hers. So I had it. No guilt. Not, Oh, I have to do this now. It was, you know what? Yeah, it's a hot day. I would appreciate this. I would enjoy this. Having those sweet and salty specials allows you to enjoy the life that you're living. And it's not something that should come with a precondition or that you feel like you have to burn off. So putting those in here and there, uh, for me personally, uh, I keep a pint of Ben and Jerry's in the freezer up until, I don't know, six months ago or so. Uh, and then I got rid of it for a little bit and then it came back. The reason we got rid of it is because instead of sitting in the refrigerator or the freezer for a couple weeks, it would sit there for three or four days. And then I was like, okay, well, this is a problem. The, th the third time I went down to buy it and I was like, well, it's only been two weeks. Uh, one, the budget is being run down because I'm buying ice cream. And two, I'm having too much of this. So in that case, out of sight, out of mind, don't even bring it in the house, but it slowly made its way back. And this is where I've also found uh, these protein yogurts that we have here, different flavors. They're sweet. They're technically a sugar, not a protein because of how they're manufactured. I use that and it hits my sweet tooth and allows me to keep going. Some people out there, it's salty. You can have these things and feel good, but have them in small amounts and allow yourself to live life just a bit and enjoy it while you're going. So that is, or those are the 10 foods. Let's just do a quick recap. Number one is oatmeal, old-fashioned oats. Number two is cinnamon, but if you're going to eat it in the amounts we talked about, you want to make sure it's Ceylon cinnamon and not kasha. Uh, bets are if it doesn't say Ceylon on it, it is kasha. Uh, kasha also, by the way, tends to be a darker red, a little bit spicier, so keep that in mind. Number three is garlic in its various forms. Number four is kefir or kombucha. Here we focused on kefir and the research that was done on that. You can look up the kombucha studies yourself. Uh, again, you want to make sure it is a reputable and high quality person or, or company that is making the kefir. By the way, you can find it in all different types of milk. Uh, you can find it in cow's milk. I personally like sheep's milk kefir. Uh, it just has a better taste to me. It sits better with me. Uh, ginger is number five. Dried or pickled is the way most people tend to think of it, but this is one of my sweets. I have I have dried ginger with no extra sugar, and I really enjoy it. That is one of my sweets, which ties to number 10, which we just talked about. Number six, orange vegetables and fruits. Squash, pumpkin, sweet potatoes, carrots, oranges, mangoes, ginger. Uh, making sure you're getting in that vitamin A. Number seven is cruciferous vegetables. Bok choy, Brussels sprouts, kohlrabi, radishes, cabbage, broccoli, as well as arugula and red radishes. Number eight are berries, and specific we talked about blueberries since there was a research article out there that looked specifically at women. And again, as noted, they ignored or purposefully uh, did not include those going through perimenopause for ease of research. Uh, number nine are lean proteins. So that point to drive home again is make sure we're talking about just the protein. My favorite is grilled chicken. Uh, and making sure that you're having the protein itself, not these fancy sauces or toppings that can really add a lot of calories and different or micro macronutrients to it, as well as micronutrients, which can be good, but we really want to keep our eyes on the macro. And the 10th one is sweet or salty specials, and special to you, something that you really enjoy. So for some people, it's Doritos Flamin' Hot, and for other people like myself, it's uh, some Ben & Jerry's. 
and making sure you're doing that without preconditions or postconditions. Those are the 10 foods you should be eating. If you enjoyed this podcast, again, I'd really appreciate if you hit the subscribe or follow button. It helps us uh, to fish for uh, some guests that are outside of the endurance sport world. And uh, I'm really excited to share this with you and interested in hearing your feedback. So that's it for this week's episode. Until next time, remember, train smarter, not harder, because it is all about you. That's it for this episode. Check out humanvortextraining.com for more great content and to keep learning.